This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every single Tuesday, Fangraphs John Taylor up there in New York City. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? Not too bad. I think we're finally through the the bad portion of winter weather. Spring is almost here. The time change is almost here. How excited are you for another hour of daylight for you and Fisher to just have all of the fun? Just fantastic. An extra, I mean, the, the sun setting later is always a good thing. I, I will never be against that. I don't understand why we still do it. Um, Arizona doesn't do it. There's no reason for us to still do this daylight savings time stuff. Like, what, what are we doing, folks? It's for the farmers, but that's the important thing. Yes, yes, that it's is the, the important thing. Um, well, don't forget, folks, you can listen to this podcast on chasethomaspodcast.com. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash chasethomaswriter. You can follow John at J.A. Taylor. You can follow myself at chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chasethomaswriter and uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a review, I will read it on this show, especially if it's nice uh, about John and I, we we like nice things. Um, John, what uh, what have you found yourself reading and watching over the past week? Uh, not a whole lot. I think watching wise, I think I might be ready to start binging the Americans. I, I know it's it's supposed to be a great show. I've never picked up on it, but maybe it, maybe it's time now. Maybe it's time. I've actually never watched it either. It was one of those where uh, back in prime Grantland days, uh, Andy Greenwald was writing about it a lot. I remember. And I felt left out because I would listen to the watch. I think it was called something else at the time. What did it, what did it used to be called? It wasn't the. It watch, was right? a Hollywood perspective. That's right. That's right. Um, and I would listen to that, and I would have to fast forward those sections because I was not in the loop. And I kept saying that, and I think the bridge and John, we just don't have time. There's not enough hours in the day to to watch everything, and you have to be uh, careful. Like I spent last night, I did. I had to decide, John, do I watch Gonzaga and St. Mary's or do I uh, watch the show that I've been watching? And it's like, well, I'm, I, I need to see what Gonzaga is looking like and take some notes there. So I, I did that. Um, there's just not enough time. And now baseball gearing back up. Like, how are have you already mapped out what uh, your viewing schedule is going to be like outside of the Red Sox? Uh, I think. Probably a lot of Mets, just because that's what's on here, and also because I would be watching the Yankees, but I have YouTube TV, and YouTube TV no longer carries Yes Network, so I have literally no way to watch the Yankees legally, at least here Wait, in New York. Wait, how does that work with uh, the significant other, John? <laughs> uh, well, she's got her she's got her own she's got her own thing scheduled. I'm just I just mean purely on TV. I can't okay. watch. Yeah. Um. And then 
Otherwise, I'll probably be watching the Dodgers or the Padres late at night, um, one of those two teams at 10 p.m. I, gen- I genuinely, though, like putting on MLB Network's li- um, their, their, their nightly studio show where they just kind of bounce around from game to game, which I guess is the closest you get to baseball red zone. So yeah. there are probably going to be some nights where I just do that and just see what's on. And maybe maybe I have one game on the iPad that isn't a Red Sox game. Like, whatever the best matchup is in the 7 o'clock games, maybe. Interesting. Yeah, I think I'm just going to do it based on pitching matchups. Um, so I'll have the Brave stuff, obviously, but I'm going to do it based on pitching. Of like, oh, I haven't watched this pitcher in a while. I want to watch Giolito. I want to watch um, yeah, Chris Sale that's, that's when he's back. Gonna, yeah. I, that's it, probably how I'm going to operate. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk about the Astros today. They signed Jake Rodorizzi. Uh, we didn't talk about the Brewers signing Jackie Bradley Jr., your old friend, um, to bolster their outfield depth. And then Jose Martinez uh, suffered a torn meniscus, it looks like. So that's a blow to the Mets. But um, and then we'll wrap up with the 2021 Atlanta Braves. Um, John, first up, Odorizzi. I think we talked about this as an option. We were doing the Astros preview. Is like he would make sense for them. Um, what does this do for the Astros? And uh, do you think this is a, a good under-the-radar signing for them? I think it's the only real option they had once Framber Valdez got hurt. Uh, we don't know how long he's going to be out, but I mean, a broken finger is definitely not, obviously not what you want as a pitcher, regardless of how much time he misses. That's not a rotation that could really afford one losing depth and two losing one of its best pitchers on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it really makes a lot of sense for them. I think, I don't really know if there was anyone else left free agent wise. who was going to make that level of impact. I mean, you're probably looking at like a two-win pitcher over the course of a full season, and that's not nothing. Yeah. Um, plus, he's under team control for next year when they're going to have both Zach Greinke and Justin Verlander hit free agency and Lance McCullers. So that's uh, two-fifths of the current rotation and a guy who would theoretically be back by that point, at least, from Tommy John. Is Verlander and so Greinke really both up next year? I believe so. That is so, so much money <laughs> the, all, coming off the books. That is yeah, the all the money. And that's the other thing. The, the Astros have a lot of money coming off the books next year, just in the form of Verlander and Granke, plus you know whoever else they shed, and maybe well, Correa's not making a lot of money now, but maybe he walks. You know, maybe McCullers walks. You know, we we talked about this before. This this core is kind of um, coming to an end, and so I think Odorizzi makes sense as a way to just kind of extend, like not so much extend the bridge, but just you know make sure you get the most out of this core this year as possible. Um, I mean, like I said, I think it makes sense. Like, there is no other better option out there. You don't really want to, you know, the, the depth. The, sorry, the, this team doesn't really have the depth right now to live without a, a pitcher kind of on that same level as Framber Valdez. And Odorizzi probably isn't there, but he was really good two years ago. And last year just ran into a lot of injuries and kind of small, small sample size messes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a good signing. And uh, I think the, the hope now just for the Astros is that Framber Valdez is back sooner rather than later. Well, we shall see. Um, the Je- the <laughs> I was about to say the Jackie Bradley Juniors. Um, the Brewers signed Jackie Bradley Junior. Just an all elite. I was going through baseball savants. Uh, Jackie Bradley Juniors profile, and it's just amazing how insane he is uh, defensively. And it really can't be understated just how how good he is, and what percentile he's in, and how many runs saved he's accounted for, and just how good. And you've watched a lot of him in Boston. Um, he seems like a natural Milwaukee Brewers type guy to add to that group. Um, does he move the needle at all? And were you surprised that the Brewers were the team that ultimately signed Jackie Bradley Jr.? I'm surprised the Brewers were the team, if only because I thought there were other teams that had a bigger need. Uh, Houston, for one. The Mets definitely could have used Bradley. The Phillies could have used Bradley. I don't really know if there was any more space in Boston after they 
uh, signed Kike Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez. But regardless, I thought there were a few more teams that could probably have that opening a little better, especially since the Brewers already had Lorenzo Cain. Uh, but now the Cain's hurt, and I, I know the Brewers have said Lorenzo Cain is still their starting center fielder. I don't really buy that. I think that he gets moved over to one of right or left probably come after he comes back from whatever in, from the injury he has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it makes sense for Milwaukee, though. I mean, Bradley's a good defensive outfielder. He, de- he definitely does fit that Brewers pattern of, like, guy who's got all-or-nothing hitter, but who's also a very good defender. I mean, between him, Colton Wong, Orlando Arcia, like, um, I guess the other option I was thinking about who the right fielder in Milwaukee is is Abisail Garcia, and he's definitely not someone they should be playing on, the, on a regular basis. I don't know if it really moves the needle so much as making the Brewers contenders, but, I mean, any positive addition any of those teams makes in the NL Central, except for the Pirates, is a step forward because of just how important like a mar- like a marginal upgrade is just in terms of wins and losses. Um, and I definitely would rather have an outfield that has Jackie Bradley Jr. and Lorenzo Cain in it than I would uh, Lorenzo Cain and Abisail Garcia. So I, I like it for Milwaukee, and especially because he-, he-, he costs very little. Bradley was, what, 224 or something mm-hmm. along those lines? Um, so definitely a, a very cost-effective deal. So yeah, I-, I think it's a good one for Milwaukee. Uh, lastly, Jose Martinez suffers a torn meniscus for the Mets. Um, do you estimate this will be a problem for them? That they'll need to address it before the season gets started. Um, you know, I don't really know if this is a big deal for them, aside from just taking away some some kind of bench depth. I don't think Martinez, like without the universal DH, Martinez was not going to be a guy who was going to get regular playing time. He's such a terrible outfielder that even the Mets collection of like dismal gloves is, is still better than what he has. And he, he can't really play another position. He's really just kind of a lefty masher at this point. And like I said, without the DH, he doesn't really have much of any value in the, in the NL. I always kind of figured him as a guy who would just end up probably not on the Mets by the end of spring training, that some maybe some American League team would come calling if they had a hole on the bench or at the DH spot that they needed to fill because – he really just doesn't make any sense in the National League. So I don't really think there's any going to be any real knock-on effect from this. I guess the only matter of it is it does reduce the Mets' depth options a little bit, but I don't think Martinez was a guy they were counting on for really much of anything at all without the DH available. Absolutely. And it seemed like Dominic Smith would have been the natural DH. If, yeah, I mean, if, 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 there were, if, yeah, if there were a DH, I'm sure that Dom Smith would be the regular DH while they'd be putting someone else. Maybe that's the only thing is that like, if the DH had existed – Maybe Martinez would have been in the running for some kind of outfield DH role as a platoon guy, but that, I mean that's still pretty minimal, and I, I and that's of course with a conditional that doesn't actually exist. So, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into the 2021 Atlanta Braves season preview. Uh, John, this is going to be difficult because um, the NL East is going to be a bloodbath. I think. Um, more so than maybe any other division in baseball. I guess the only close option in terms of just how how just week to week this division is going to be based on who's at top is like the NL uh, the AL East. And I say that just because it seems like um, Pakota and other projections are pretty high on the Red Sox and kind of low on the Rays, which is interesting. And we just assume that the, the Blue Jays are going to be pretty solid and the Orioles are significantly worse than where the Marlins are, I think, at this point. But um, both just unlikely to, to make the postseason a full season because it did seem like the Marlins would not have uh, made it under a full season last year. Um, now that the dust has settled, now that 
spring training is happening. The off-season letter grade for you, John, for the Atlanta Braves was what? What letter grade would you give them? Yeah, BB plus, I think, feels right. Yeah. I think, like, bringing back Ozuna, I think, was probably the like, probably gets them the most of the way into that territory. I think that was probably the most important thing they had to do, aside from adding some pitching. Mm-hmm. And then they actually went and added some pitching. I mean, and I know we'll, we'll talk about it. You know, say what you want about the potential durability or reliability of Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton. Those are at least high upside guys. And you can certainly argue that maybe what this Braves rotation needed was someone a little more consistent along the lines of, I guess, a Trevor Bauer who could just, you know, throw a lot of innings and just be counted on every fifth day. I don't really know how many of those starters were available in free agency beyond Trevor Bauer. I think that's probably a bigger question. And if you're not going to be able to find those guys, and I think the, the reasonable gamble is just to go and find the guys like Smiley and Morton where it's like, you know, maybe we only get four or five innings out of them a night but they're going to be four or five really high caliber, high quality innings as opposed to, you know, here's the umpteenth iteration of 37-year-old Cole Hamels or 34-year-old Felix Hernandez, you know, where you're, you know you're not really getting anything out of that. So I, I do like the moves they made. I think, I know we've, we've talked it to death, and I'm sure you'll have more to say that, you know, I think third base they left kind of an open hole. I, I, I guess there's the belief in Austin Riley. I don't necessarily know that I share it, but that I imagine that's what it has to be. Uh, I thought the bullpen also probably could have used maybe another arm or two just because they did a lot of their, I think a lot of them, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like a fair number of their free agents were relievers, and it doesn't really, I don't really get the sense they brought in any kind of real impact arm. I know they still Well, they're have, betting you know, on AJ Will Smith Harris bouncing for, back, right? Like, they paid Will Smith, and... Yeah, and I think that's, yeah. that's probably part of it, is having Will Smith, and I think there's probably renewed confidence in A.J. Minter after he showed that, you know, he's he looks a little closer than what he was in 2018, or, or yes, yeah, in 2018 rather than 2019. So, you know, maybe betting, maybe just based on that, that feels like a solid enough gamble for the Braves. And, and as we've said before, Atlanta has so many arms in its system that, you know, any one of those guys could theoretically be called up and pushed into bullpen service like Bryce Wilson or... You know, maybe, I mean, maybe that just needs to be the long-term home for guys like Tuki Toussaint and Sean Newcomb, you know, and mm-hmm. just just give up on the idea of putting them in the rotation because there's clearly not something clicking with them as well, starters. I think that happens this Newcomb. year, right? Like, I think that yeah, that I mean, is the, the plan is eventually you're the the chicken. What is, what is the expression? Um, something at home you know to roosters? coming home to roost? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the, what it the is. Chicken, yeah, the the chickens come home to roost. Yeah, yeah. And, and in this the, case, I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like, especially with Newcomb, like I feel like that decision had already been made to make him a reliever, and then all of a sudden he's starting last year. I think part of that was probably the just the total lack of starters because of all the injuries. But yep. I think Newcomb in particular is a guy who's demonstrated no, his his future is in relief. He he just does for whatever reason. But I haven't looked at his numbers or starts in any depth. But like it, it just he's not a starter. You know, he's a reliever at this point. And maybe you know guys like Tuki Toussaint are heading down that same path, or you have you know, decent, useful arms like Jaseel De La Cruz or Wascar or other guys like that. So, um, Tukey drives me nuts, though. The 11 Ks through nine, but then he has the high walk rate. It's just the talent is just there with him. Tukey, I think, is a little bit different than Newcomb. And I I don't know, but I also just think one of the things that will limit, or maybe not necessarily limit, but prolong the the chances of just relegating Newcomb and Tukey to the bullpen full-time is that um, a lot of teams around the league are nervous about pitcher workload. And a lot of teams are going to have six, seven-man rotations and give guys off days. And, I mean, you already have Mike Sork coming back from a torn Achilles. Um, you, I, I just, I think 
every team's going to err on the side of cautious with their starters and the Braves with high playoff aspirations are going to err on the side of um, conservative um, with the Sorokas, with the Freeds, um, even with the Ian Andersons. Like he, he pitched a lot down the stretch last year and was a crucial piece for them. Um, I just suspect that we'll get a lot of Bryce Wilson opportunities, a lot of Kyle Wright opportunities, a lot of Tuki Tucson opportunities, and even some Sean Newcomb opportunities. I, I really don't think they're going to just be like, yeah, the, these two coming out of spring training are full-time bullpen people just because they know that they're going to be signs in June where they're just like, hey, we just have to throw Newcomb out there in this doubleheader or something. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I, I think you're right that with the increased number, or sorry, with like you said, with the the sudden shot back up to to full season workloads, there probably are going to be more rotations that do go to that you know six, maybe seven man, or at least have the guys who can just pop in and give starters a, a rest. So, and especially that makes sense if you do have a rotation with, like you said, Soroka coming back from surgery, with uh, Smiley and Morton being open durability questions, with you know Max Freed being a durability question, although. I need, Excuse me, I know Freed was, was plenty healthy last year, but, you know, it's always a question with him given how many arm injuries he's had. So, yeah, I, I think it makes sense that you'd have guys like Toussaint and Wilson and Newcomb maybe be kind of stretch guys who can step in, pitch three or four innings at a time, and otherwise just kind of hang out in relief. But, yeah, I, I think otherwise, like, I, you know, maybe I think I would have liked the Braves offseason a little more if they'd gotten an impact reliever along the lines of someone like a Liam Hendricks or if they'd upgraded third base. And I think third base especially, because I know we, we talked a lot about it, that Justin Turner would have made a lot of sense there and really would not have cost very much, although it seems like Turner probably didn't want to leave Los Angeles in the first place. Either way, though, I think it was a pretty solid offseason. Like I said, Marcelo Zuna feels like the key to all of it because he really just makes that lineup way more dangerous and way deeper. And even if he is a mess in the outfield, you have to figure the, the NL will get the, the, the universal DH sooner rather than later. And once that happens, you know, his his impact on the defensive side of the ball is, you know, completely out of it. Absolutely. And I think it seems like that's coming next year. And I think the Austin Riley part of it is interesting just because I suspect the reason they did not address their base is that it was a confidence thing where it's like, if we bring in competition for this guy, um, we already know he has confidence issues. We already know um, that he's batting in the ninth hole and that he is someone that has really struggled and um, just mashed so much in AAA and mashed coming up that like we got to give the impression that we are all in on him still and that this is his job and if you don't make it this year it's not our fault and that this was your opportunity to seize the moment um, there's no pressure you are going to be down in the lineup the top of the lineup is stacked and I want to ask you about that in a second but I, I suspect that they are going to give the first half of the season um, all the chances in the world for Austin Riley to make it work because they are not relying on him to the same extent they were when they first called him up and putting him in the middle of the lineup and being like, Oh, could this guy be someone to protect Freddie Freeman? And it's like, no, 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 no. This dude is an eighth or ninth guy, Clint Barmas type. <laughs> and, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like that all makes sense. It's just, I guess if you're the Braves, like how, how do you balance, you know, the, the, the knowledge and reality that, you know, this is a team built to win right now. And not that they can't win in the future, but that this team's window is not window, but that this team is optimized to win right now. And how do you balance that against long-term development for guys like Riley, who haven't really shown a consistent ability to produce at a position that you know where you can get an upgrade if you want to? So, and that that's a tough question. I don't have a good answer for it, 
Um, I have to imagine one way or the other that this year is probably make or break for him, that if he once again struggles, that that's probably going to be the end of Atlanta's rope with him. But I can understand that they want to give him that shot because the talent is there and they feel you know, that he's capable of, of being that good, le- the, the high-level starter they think he can be. Do you think the top of the lineup, one through four, maybe even one through five, is enough to offset the offensive limitations of the bottom half of this lineup? Sure. When you have a one through four as good as Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and Ozuna, yeah, yeah, that's plenty good. That's that's one of the best top fours in any team in any league. Um, and, I mean, that's the case for most teams anyway. Most teams have a much better top half than they do bottom half of the lineup. And as long as there are options within the bottom half of the lineup who can who aren't going to embarrass you, because I think, you know, Dansby Swanson, Christian Pache, you know, uh, I guess even – and. The bottom half even really includes Travis Darno, who I, I don't really know how, how comfortable I feel about him repeating his 2020, but certainly has demonstrated he knows what he's doing with the bat. Go ahead and um, lock it in. Really- Go ahead and lock it in. He's, he's, he's keeping uh, Contreras at, at bay at AAA. He knows what's coming behind him. He's, he's all in, John. Don't worry about my man, Travis Darno. Do not worry about him. I mean, you can, you can worry plenty about Riley and Pache in terms of development. You can worry plenty about Swanson in terms of also how repeatable his 2020 is. Because, you know, you look at the numbers for Dancy Swanson, you didn't really see a lot of progression in terms of things like plate discipline, plate patience, swing rate. It mostly just seemed to be a lot of batting average on balls and play luck. He did really well against fastballs, but the rest of the, the rest of his package was not all that exciting or inspiring to make you think that, you know, that this is a, a Trevor Story, Trey Turner level, like, oh, he's finally figured it out. Um, and then, of course, the open question of what you're going to do with regards to um, what's the other position I'm missing? I guess, like I said, Riley and Pache have, are going to have their growing pains too. Um, but I think those are overcomable, especially because, again, with Riley, Pache, and Swanson, you're all you're talking about extremely high tier talent. You know, this isn't quad A guys being plugged into lineup holes because there are no better options. These are three highly touted prospects who, right. if you're going to sink or swim with with guys, these are the guys you want to who you want in that position. You know, because if if they do hit, they're going to hit. You know. So I feel I feel pretty good about the Braves lineup. There doesn't really feel to me like there's a consistent weak spot there. Yeah, I think aside obviously aside from when the pitcher hits, um, every other spot in the lineup feels at least adequate. You know, with potential to dip down into bad if Pache and Riley don't really pick it up and if Swanson steps backward. But otherwise, you're, you're looking at at least a, a reasonable floor for half the lineup and MVP caliber upside for the other four. So. Absolutely. Um, Charlie Morton already looking good um, early in spring. I know it's early and we got to keep him healthy, but um, I do like the difference between going after Charlie Morton where Alex Anthopoulos likes doing these one-year contracts and these veteran starting pitchers to work with the young guys that he has coming up and the Bryce Wilsons, the the Kyle Wrights, the um, Tuki Toussaint's, the uh, Ian Anderson's, all those guys. Um what do you? What would you say is the biggest difference between the Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley signings this year versus Keuchel two years ago and Hamels last year? What is the biggest difference and upside difference? I think just that because with Keuchel, I mean with Keuchel, you know what you're getting. It's a steady six innings of a lot of ground balls and like four strikeouts. With Smiley and Morton, you're getting something a little. There's just the you know there's there is the higher strikeout upside, which I think teams obviously want to focus on in an era of, you know, and it's weird to keep saying the era of launch angle because it's now like five or six years old at this point. But, you know, in an era when everyone can put, when people, when 
getting the ball put in play in the air is bad. You want guys ideally who either put the ball on the ground or miss bats. Uh, Morton can do both. I haven't really given a good look. I think Smiley's more of a fly ball guy, which might be a little troublesome moving out of San Francisco and into. Well, I don't. I don't get the sense Atlanta's park is particularly Homer happy. No. I, I mean, it's not. It, it's not like a vast pitchers park, but I also didn't get the sense it was like Coors Atlanta or something. Yeah. Um. Hmm. That's a good question. I want to pull that up now. I want to see what um, where they rank right now. Who? I'm assuming Yankee Stadium is still number one, right? It's probably either Coors or I mean Coors, Great American. They're all going to be up there. Um, hmm. Yankee Stadium really only for left-handed power. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, regardless, I'd imagine SunTrust probably falls somewhere in the middle. Whoa, but, whoa! SunTrust is no longer a thing, sir. This is Truist Park. Put some respect on Truist Park name. Wait, when did that change? Mm, a year and a half ago now. But you didn't see it, John, because there was no season last year. So last year was supposed to be the inaugural Truest Park, but I think uh, SunTrust oh. merged with somebody else, so now it's Truest Park. Oh, well, that's stupid. I hate it. <laughs> that's fair. Um, that's fair. Um, so Talking Chop had this on Smiley that I want to ask you about because I think Drew Smiley is even more interesting than Morton because I, I don't think they're going to hit on both. Like, I don't think both guys are going to give them exactly what they signed up for this year. Like, th- to strike gold on these two injury-riddled veterans who are both really good and good upside if they're both healthy, I just don't think it's likely that both make it through. Um, Smiley appeared in just seven games for the Giants in 2020. It felt like more to me. Um, but he had an uptick in velocity at this point in his career, which is interesting, um, and had a 37.8 strikeout percentage and a 1.0 FR in only 26 innings. I, I go back and forth on this. What, what do you think about Smiley? I mean, I like him because again, you have a guy who, you know, and velocity increases are always a good way to see, you know, they're always, sorry, are always a good indicator of whether or not a, a change is sustainable and real, you know, a strikeout spike that comes with like a, you know, with, with no real velocity nudge and with no real change in pitch usage, that's a little suspect. But with Smiley, when you do have that velocity increase, and with, again, this is a guy who even before all the injuries was a very highly touted player who just got wiped out by various elbow surgeries. Um, I, I do think, I do like it because you do want to try to bet on, I always feel like it's a good idea to bet on guys who change something and saw their results like go positive because of it. You know, I'd much rather do something like that than take a gamble that, you know, we have what it takes to turn Jake Arrieta around, for instance. Or, you know, we, you know, John Lester didn't look great last year. But he's a proven veteran. He, he has to have one more year left. No, 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 no. Just go, go find the guys who actually are doing something different and new and are showing signs that what they're doing is something that they can repeat. And velocity increases, usually I feel like a pretty good sign of that. So I, I, that's the thing. I, I like the Smiley signing for Atlanta. And it also wasn't a particularly expensive or – you know, costly signing either. It's just what one year, twelve million dollars. That's pretty good for for pitching in this off season, especially. I mean, I mean, I should say pretty good. Then nobody, <laughs> nobody, uh, what's it called? Nobody got a, a long term deal as a pitcher except for like four different guys. Yeah. So, you know, this is a. Uh, it's. I think. I think it was a good signing. I think it was an effective signing too, because you know, it's it's a good cost for everything or a good price rather. Yeah, I think a lot of teams are just terrified of committing to to pitching as a whole right now, um, which is understandable. Yeah, um, Will Smith. We talked about the bullpen a little bit, and uh, Martin Lanson's uh, moving on to San Diego. Martin is back. 
Um, Shane Green, I think, is still unsigned, unless I'm mistaken. Am I? I yeah, he's I still a free agent. Yeah, he's still a free agent. I, was, I haven't seen his name pop up, and I'd be kind of surprised if he did land anything better than a non-roster invite at this point. He has no real velocity left, and he's not really striking guys out. So that that's not the kind of reliever that's going to get too much interest. No. Um, but a lot of what the Braves do in the bullpen this year um, revolves around Will Smith. They're they're betting a lot of chips on the Will Smith bounce back. Um, do you do you expect the Will Smith bounce back? I think it depends on what happens with his slider, which last year got both a lot of swings and misses, but also a lot of home runs given up. I mean, what? How many innings did Will Smith Will Smith pitch last year? Ten? Not a lot. Something in that neighborhood. Yeah, because he, he ha- either had COVID or he got a late start to the season. He did have COVID, I remember that. He had COVID, right. So, on the one hand, uh, not even the one hand, first of all, I'm willing to discount a season where the player had COVID. I know Freddie Freeman almost died from it and then put together an MVP season, so it clearly doesn't affect everyone the same way. But when you have stories like, you know, Yohan Moncada saying that he felt like he had no energy throughout the entire course of the season and was winded just running to first base, I'm willing to kind of give a mulligan to anyone who was sick. And that, that, that COVID, since we don't know what the effects of COVID are long-term uh, or don't have a, a full idea yet, you know, that maybe just maybe he was compromised to a certain degree by that. Um, and also, too, if we're talking about, you know, a grand total of 10 or so innings pitch, you know, we're talking about, you know, 20-some, 30 batters space, that is the tiniest of sample sizes for relievers where it's really hard to put too much stock into anything that happened unless we did see some velocity decrease. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you have the numbers up, but I don't recall Will Smith having a big drop in velocity. Um, if there was one, maybe it was half a mile an hour, but nothing in the vein of like, you know, two miles, excuse me, two miles an hour down or, you know, oh God, something's clearly wrong. So I, I think he can bounce back, especially because, you know, you're, you have a normal off season now, you have a normal spring training, he's not sick, you know, there's not a small sample size to kind of screw everything up, so... I, I think Will Smith can bounce back, but I do think a lot of it obviously lays on that slider because, like I said, last year it was either – it was literally hit or miss. It was either a guy swung over top of it or hit at 450 feet. So, you know, lo- better location that slider, better control of it, better command is probably going to be the key for him. Yeah, his uh, fastball velocity was average last year. It was in the 46th percentile per baseball savant. Um, average mile per hour on his fastball was 93, and his slider was 82. Um, that all sounds in line for him, right? Yeah. Looking back, yeah. Interesting. Um, Christian Passe, uh, the main event here, Christian Passe. Um, he is, by all accounts, going to be the everyday center fielder. Um, there's no reason to have Ender and Ciarte start off in center field uh, because Christian Passe uh, is a good defender and has already made all kinds of uh, crazy uh, plays in center field the the Andrew Jones comparisons really drive me nuts because that's just way too much to put on this kid this soon um, but Pache is gonna be good and I think he showed some signs like he had that good uh, hit up the middle in that Dodger series that scored around like he he had the glove work and so does NTR's Endear Inciarte so there's really just no reason to to do that he's just if somebody gets hurt in the outfield like Endear Inciarte taking step in for a little bit but um Pache now can hit. It's amazing if you go back and watch some of his stuff from like four years ago where it just looked like this dude is not going to put it all together uh, at the plate. But now he has power. He has a lot of raw power. He's put on a lot of weight. He's gotten a lot bigger and stronger. And 
he is the wild card for this team in my opinion like it's just whatever he is this season can drastically change what the Braves can be as contenders because just how loaded the Padres and the Dodgers really are and how far in front they should be of the Braves um they need Pache to hit they they really really need Pache to be um not necessarily a Ronald Acuna type star but just a really really good player right away and that's a lot of pressure for him but um I don't know I'm excited to watch him every day and see what what Christian Pache looks like in 2021 with a full-time kick yeah and I think too it's like if you already have the one elite tool like if you have the if and he has two in his speed and his defense that'll take you pretty damn far just in terms of like the value you have as as a player like I mean you already see that in the guy we already mentioned Jackie Bradley Jr. who uh doesn't have Pache speed is probably a, little, a bit better of a defender than Pache at this point but you know if if you were told right now that Christian Pache's future as an Atlanta Brave is more or less going to be Jackie Bradley Jr.'s career. I imagine you'd be a middle, a little disappointed because I think you're you're probably imagining a ceiling that's higher than that. But at the same time, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a useful major league regular for six seasons at this point. Um, and if that's the level of out of output that Christian Pache puts out in 2021, something like a 90 OPS plus while playing good defense and being a great base runner. I don't know how much more you could ask for from a 22-year-old kid, you know, coming into a year where he basically didn't get to play last year and lost an entire year of development time. And yeah, I, I just I feel like that's I feel like that's that would be pretty good. And I feel like I mean I'm not a prospect guy by any stretch of the imagination, but it does feel like Jackie Bradley Jr. is probably something equivalent to the floor for Pache as opposed to just the ceiling. But he could also just be the ceiling if I mean he's the ceiling if nothing develops. It feels like he's the floor if he taps into all his tools. Yeah, which is which is huge. Um, and I I just really 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 want Pache and Acuna and Azuna to be be awesome for the next three to four years. That that'd be great. That would that'd be a nice thing. I, I, I think there's a pretty good bet for that. I think you're you're you got a pretty good chance of that. I'm a, I'm okay with it. Um, last thing when we wrap up here, John, the farm system. Uh, we know that they have two. Uh, high-profile catchers in the pipeline and Contreras and Sal. Um, we'll have to trade one of them at some point, I suspect. Um, I don't know which one it's going to be. Uh, we got Drew Waters in the pipeline. We got Tucker Davidson. We got Kyle Muller. Uh, there, there's a lot of intrigue um, with what the Braves will do here. They've already moved on from Colby Allard. Um, I don't suspect that Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright will be with this group long-term, and then you still have the Sean Newcomb and Tuki Toussaint situation. If another team thinks that they can make them a full-time starter and the Braves don't, like that will change things. Um, who do you think ultimately stays, and do you think any of these top-end talent in the Gwinnett Stripers roster uh, figures to give something of need for the Braves uh, this season? Because like I'm thinking about like which third baseman they could use uh, Waters and friends to, to nab. Because when I have a lot of friends who talk about Drew Waters a lot, and I'm like, where is he playing? I guess the idea is if a universal DH is adopted, he can go to left and you can move Azuna to DH, um, which I guess is a possibility. But um, I don't know. I just think eventually you're going to have too many young guys and you're not going to be able to keep them all. And you have to go a little AJ Prellery and cash in a little bit. So um, what, do, what do you think of the top of the farm system for the Braves? And who do you think ultimately stays and who goes? I mean, it's tough to say now because, like you said, there are a lot of things that, you know, it, it depends on are we, is the NL going to get to DH? What is the situation with Austin Riley at third base? How much of that current pitching that exists is going to develop the way that they want it to develop? 
Obviously, they're going to need some starter help for past this season because Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley are both on one-year deals, and neither is the guy you really are going to count on long-term. So someone in that, uh, I mean, if you're, just, if, you're, if you're capping your top three as Anderson, Soroka, and Freed in some combination, then, you know, some, some combination of that, um, like uh, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Muller, or uh, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, you know, and whoever else, for a little further down in that system are, are obviously going to be a part of it theoretically anyway. Um, the rest of it, I think, is, is just kind of a wait and see. I think Austin Riley's progress will obviously make a huge difference in what they kind of do prospect-wise. I think the way Pache plays will probably um, have to do a lot with Waters, as will whether or not there is a DH next year so that Ozuna can just be the regular DH and they can play Waters and left. But I think the, the at least the thing in terms of 2021 impact, I think obviously – the pitching is going to have, or the pitches that they have are probably going to be the ones to make the biggest impact because you, you can't really, like I said, count on Smiley and Morton to be healthy constantly. And, you know, the, a lot of those guys are probably going to find some time as relievers in one capacity or another to have an impact. So I, I do think the pitchers are probably most likely to, to stick through, if only because you can never have too many pitchers as, uh, as we saw with the Braves last year. Absolutely. John Taylor. Thank you, as always, for the time. We can support you by going to Fangraphs.com and becoming a subscriber. If you are not already a subscriber to Fangraphs, go ahead and do that. It's great. Also, if you like this podcast, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. Like I said, we'll review it on the podcast. Um, Go listen to all your great stuff on Fangraphs, from the Fangraphs podcast to the Effectively Wild podcast that is doing a preview series and had a really good anecdote about Tom and Jerry and uh, with Meg and uh, Ben. I don't know if you listened to that from a couple days ago. I very much enjoyed the, the analysis. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, I'll, I'll let me, I'm going to take this opportunity now also to say that uh, if you haven't gotten a copy or if you're you know, interested in getting a copy, Baseball Perspectives 2021 Annual is now out. I have a few words in it. No essays, but I got to do the player comments for the Braves and a few of them for the Nationals. Mm. I got to say stuff about Luke Jackson and Dancy Swanson's hair. Very okay. good. Um, there are plenty of other always excellent writers in the BP Annual, as always. Some really good essays, all the good information you need. I highly recommend you pick that up for the season coming up so you can get ready for it. Uh, and because obviously, you know, the folks at BP are very good folks who are very smart about baseball and we should support the good folks who are smart about baseball and everything. Absolutely. Well, go do that and, uh, follow John at J a Taylor, follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. And, uh, we'll be back as we are every Tuesday next week. John, I say we do the Mets next week. Let's do the, let's, let's meet the Mets. Let's, let's meet the, the Mets. Mets. Come along and meet the Mets. <laughs> All bring right. your kitties, bring your wife. <laughs> Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Absolutely. Well, that's what we'll do, John. Uh, I will talk to you next week, my friend. Thank you, as always, for the time, and uh, stay safe out there. You too, buddy. All right, hello, and welcome back to part two of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by a native 
French speaker. I'm so nervous. I, I, I don't know what to do. This is the first time on this podcast. 600 episodes, Olivier. And uh, this is the first uh, French-speaking guest that I've had. I'm excited to talk a little soccer with you this afternoon. Olivier Tremblay. I, I cannot do it. I can't. I can't do it, Olivier. But um, I it, hope it, I it was close enough. English. It was close enough. Okay. Well, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Um, this is in my notes, but I am curious. Um, what do you think is easier to learn if it's not your first language, English or French? Oh man, it's totally English. Mm. It's it, it's English easily easily. If you guys think your language is tricky, I mean, try French. It's it's terrible. The I mean, it's 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 very complicated for uh for someone that maybe grew up speaking English and because because you know English has this. It's not as you know it's not as gender based. I, I'm not, it's not quite the right word, but. I mean, all pronouns, you know, we have different pronouns for, for, for men and women, uh, you know, feminine, masculine. It's very complicated. And so if you want to have your verbs match with the nouns and then the adjectives and so on and so forth, I'm not even going to go into past participles and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really, really tricky in French. But it's a great challenge if you want to try it. I'm not here to discourage you. It's a great challenge and if you are familiar with spanish you've already got you know something good going on well unfortunately Olivier, i took four years of latin in high school and two in college so i am very familiar with the latin language and well that's good for french actually okay i i had friends and and in, in when i was in high school i there was this one high school in the area that i grew up in which is like like five hours north of montreal mm -hmm. and there was this one high school where they had latin classes and the the very few friends that i had in that particular high school i did not attend but they said latin classes helped with grasping some of the more complicated uh, rules of the French language. So, hmm. I mean, you might be onto something too. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, don't forget, folks, you can listen to this very podcast by going to chasesongspodcast.com and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. But if you are an iPhone user, give us a five star rating review. Every little bit helps. Um, Olivier, what, are, what have you found yourself reading and watching as of late? Well, I have been reading. It's, I mean, it's not much help to your listeners, I guess, but it's it's a French book. I've been reading the newly published biography of ice hockey goaltender Georges Vizina, mm. um, who grew up in my hometown of Chicoutimi. And um, this is a story. It's it's written by uh, Michael Lalancette, who is a, a sports journalist here in Quebec. And Vezina, obviously, is his name is on the Vezina Trophy in the NHL, which is awarded to the best uh, goaltender of the of the season. And his story was, you know, it it was not that well known because, well, first of all, it was the 1910s and 20s. Um, but this was a guy that, and and the the book is called L'habitant silencieux, which is a reference to how he almost never spoke publicly and said very little about his private life. So it was kind of tricky to, 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 
to really figure out what happened in his life. And 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 Mikael, the author, realized that there were some historical mistakes that had been perpetuated for for decades, like like his height, for example. I mean, he he's if, if you if you Google George Vizinas's height, he's listed at five foot six. Which makes no sense because you look at historical photographs and he's six foot tall. So I mean, and so he goes through. I mean, he he spent years and years on 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 this book, and it's 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 an absolutely fascinating read. I'm almost halfway through it right now, and it's a great study as well of the way of life in the 1910s and 20s uh, in that particular area where I grew up in uh, in Saguenay, which didn't even have a rail a railway access uh, before the 1910s. So uh, you, know, you could only get there by boat. So it's a fascinating read. And if you grasp French or if you want to brush up on it, I highly recommend it. Interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, are you binging anything? What kind of TV and movie watcher are you? You know what? I I kind of get into the living room and see what the kids mm. are are watching, and maybe I'll 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 watch with them. Uh, so I'm, you're I'm an expert going... on Paw Patrol, on yeah, Paw Patrol, and mm-hmm. I mean I, I I have two girls, so I mm-hmm. mean they're past Paw Patrol now, they're four and seven. But uh, there's this series called Winks or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like it's magical world. I have no idea. What it is. <laughs> But it looks it's very slick. It's beautiful. Um, I'm more into, you know, just watching good old sports. I'm I'm, I'm actually a, a big pro wrestling fan. Oh, so so, you know, you, you've got so many organizations now. You've always got something to to get into. So I'm catching up on the New Japan Cup uh, from uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I, I was actually watching that as I uh, as I waited your call. Awesome, awesome. I, I knew I had a good uh, instinct on you, Olivier, because I am also <laughs> a big pro wrestling fan, so this is good. Um, things I wanted to touch on today, or this evening rather, the Ariane Henry's departure from CF Montreal, um, Coach Nancy coming through to Montreal, and then the home games being announced that they will at least start the season at Inter Milan in Miami, and then the arrival of Eric Hurtado. Um, first, though, what uh, what do you make of Thierry Henry leaving now? Um, obviously, the reasons for him leaving uh, very different and very pandemic related. Um, what what do you know about that? And uh, is this going to be something that uh, is going to be a problem for Montreal going forward? Yeah, I mean, I I completely understand. I mean, I I don't think there's any doubt that last year was very difficult for everyone. And for Thierry Henry, who was very far from his family that stayed back in London, that's what he said. He he wanted to be back with his family. And it, it was a struggle last year because it's obviously due to travel restrictions and all of that and him having to go to the U.S. for weeks and months on end to, to, to coach his team. Because obviously, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I think Montreal might have played four, maybe five games total in Canada, in not in Montreal um, last year, um, so it was difficult for him. And obviously, it's not a great timing. Uh, and 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 I'm personally, I'm I'm kind of bummed that you know a, a guy like that we didn't have in Montreal that much of an opportunity to uh, develop a relationship with him. 
Um, and there was, I mean, there were times last year where he might have come under fire in press conferences for maybe, ex- you know, letting it on that he found some questions idiotic. Uh, and at, at some points, he, he had a point. But, you know, when you get him, I, I actually had the opportunity to interview him one on one. I think it was in January in Florida last year. And when you get him one on one and you actually talk football with him, he's very interesting. He's got this great uh, mind for the game. Obviously, he's played at the highest level and he's one of the top players of all time. So, I mean, from a very egotistical point of view, I, you know, I, I wish that we as a community had more of an opportunity to develop a relationship and find out exactly who he is what he thinks and how he can communicate. And that's where Wilfried Nancy comes in and I'm happy for him is Wilfried, he's not someone that's been in the public eye much and he's this great communicator that hasn't had the opportunity to show it. So, and so that is, that's good, but still you're going from a worldwide superstar to kind of a local guy. He's, he's been here 10 years. He's, French. He, he, he was born in France, I think. Uh, at least he grew up in France. But you, in this season, it's crucial. It's a new era for Montreal. They've rebranded and their objective, and they said as much as to have more of an international impact, pun intended. And if you don't have Thierry Henry, you've got to compensate somewhere else. And it's not like Olivier Renard, the director, uh, the sporting director, has been uh vocal about wanting to bring in superstars on his squad so that part is kind of tricky but from a sporting side i'm on board with the change do you think this was something that they were suspecting might be the outcome here because they promoted from within and obviously they both have a french background but um do you think that this was something that they had inkling of weeks prior i mean there were talks and when they when Thierry Henry went, he, I mean, he, he went back and spent the holidays uh, in Europe with his family, and he actually came back to Montreal uh, to start getting ready for preseason and all of that. Uh, but then, at some point, and uh, I mean, I might have the timeline wrong. Correct me. I mean, go ahead and Google it. But at some point maybe early February, late January, late February, he asked for permission to go back because, I mean, something came up where, you know, they finally realized from a family perspective that it can be done. It's This is probably a little bit of speculation, but, I mean, it, I think it's a good guess that at that point it kind of became more clear what the season was going to look like, that Montreal were not going to be able to start the season in Montreal, that they were going to have to be in the U.S. for long periods of time. And that was going to be a deal breaker from a, stand, a family standpoint. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I completely understand. I mean, it's been tough. Again, it's been tough for everyone. It's just the, the timing is unfortunate, but it's not like Montreal back in December when, you know, the, the MLS season ended that they could know, I mean, the pandemic you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone three months uh, later. So it's not like they could have told him, you know, this is what's going to happen. They had to wait until they had a uh, word from the league, I guess. But 
it's unfortunate, but it, it is what it is. They had to promote from within with uh, Wilfried Nasi. That's what they did, and now they finally get to work. And it, 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 I mean, it feels like it feels like we haven't talked about actual actual games for like four months in Montreal. So I mean, that's that part is refreshing. Now, ca- training camp is finally underway, and we can t- actually talk soccer. Well, talking soccer, what tactical differences should fans expect going from Monterey to Nancy? I don't think you should expect much difference uh, in the sense that last year was a little bit of a, of a renewal from a stylistic standpoint. Uh, Montreal, you watched them from 2012, 2013 on. A lot of it was based on 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 transition you know give it to give it to piatti and hope for the best a lot of not necessarily bunkering but montreal defended by you know just standing their ground in front of their area and just hitting teams on the break for the most part that changed maybe when didier drogba was here for like you know he had this five month period of you know period of grace uh but then they they went back to give it to nacho uh so with henry with a new sporting director with a new there was a actually a new president at the helm so it was a whole wholesale change in terms of the front office and then the technical staff they brought in henry so that they could have a quote-unquote new style of play more proactive trying to build out from the back and you saw montreal try to play out of the back a lot more than in years past, and that's something that Wilfried Nassi likes. He 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 wants teams that play, and that was the point of what the how the academy because he spent you know a number of years in the Montreal Impact Academy as it was called then, and they wanted to you know play out of from the back and have players that were proactive and that wanted to you know it's a little bit cliched but you know, like they ban- banned again, quote-unquote, the term take a risk. They wanted players to take initiative, you know, something along those lines. So it was very proactive. And so you're going to see Montreal again keep building on those blocks. And one thing that even Laurent Simon, who came back to Montreal as an assistant, as an assistant coach, said when he was introduced is he liked how this new team played wanting to build out from the back short passing uh i mean we'll see how everything plays out they've brought in different profiles that might change things a little bit but for the most part it's about keeping on building that project and that's the way that Alvirana wants to build the team that's the way that Wilfried Nancy is going to look to to make that team play is there a concern uh, among the team of having to play away from home for an extended period of time and having to uh, be away in Miami? Yeah, I mean, they've got a little bit of experience on that front now, sadly, but at least you've got you know a number of guys on that team that have the experience of last year and who know how to deal with it. And, you know, the club is looking into how they can uh, make it easy for everyone. You know, maybe... Uh, maybe families can be on certain trips for certain periods of time. They they still have to work a lot of stuff out because, as you know, you know you cross a border, so you you have to deal with different jurisdictions. So it's it's kind of tricky in some points. But they're working on it, 
And but but the one thing that's interesting is you you look at Montreal and again those past uh, 2013, 14, 15, this was one of the oldest teams in the league. And now you've got one of the youngest teams in the league. You've got a lot of early uh, guys in the early 20s, even teenagers that have signed pro contracts now. These are not necessarily guys that have families. And that's something that Adriana said. You know, we brought in a lot of young guys that haven't quite settled yet, that are still learning about life. They're 22, 23. It's not so much a problem to spend weeks in a hotel with the guys when you don't have a family back home and you miss your kids and all that stuff. So they, there's actually a thought process behind that. Obviously, it's it's been tough to get results in quote unquote home games in uh, in New Jersey for, for for what was called the Montreal Impact. Then, CF Montreal playing in Miami, and you know at the very least, they know from the get go that this is what is going to be. They have several weeks to get ready for that. Uh, but again, I mean, it's it's a concern, and I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, you can have grand expectations for this season it's one of those seasons where again there's going to be a little bit of an asterisk next next to it and you can throw some of the results out of the window but again it's a it's a it's a new coach again but it's building a project and you want this team to mature you've got a a, a coach now as well that you know himself says I first and foremost was a youth coach. I developed talent. And when you've got a guy with ambition uh, at the helm who also looks into youth development and is passionate about that, you know, you, in, it's kind of a it's, – it's not like you can bring in a, a, an international coach at this point. I think it's kind of tricky, especially you know, Thierry Henry did not give a good argument for an international coach to delocate and come to Montreal right now. But with uh, Wilfried Nassi, who knows knows the project, knows the club, you can maybe ease a lot of the guys into the fact that they have to, to, to relocate. And it might be a little bit easier than last year. But again, there, there are concerns and there are, they are legitimate. What can uh, you tell us about Eric Cotardo's arrival? Um, I'm kind of interested by this, uh, this move. It's not like Montreal have made... Uh, all that many MLS uh, MLS moves over the years is a, a lot of international recruitment and uh, you know signing free agents and stuff. Trades haven't come off all that well uh, for Montreal historically, but you know signing a guy like Hurtado, I'm interested, and it's again I think it fits with what Mon- what Montreal want from their group of forwards. They want more options now. Uh, Romel Kyoto was a, a tremendous surprise, a great surprise for them last year, moving from the wing to actually a center forward role where, where he did really, really well. And now you've brought in a, a guy like Bjorn Janssen, uh, you know, a, an American soccer forum legend who finally is coming back to North America. Um, he's Norwegian-American. And this is a guy that has maybe more capabilities in the air. That's what he said. He, I've mastered the uh, aerial side of the game. So you've got a different profile here. Eric Hurtado, relentless worker. He's going to make 
you know, he, he's going to work a lot to create space for guys. And so if you actually want to build from the back and play in the opposition's half, you need those kind of guys that are heavy on the defense, who make them work, who make them guess, make them think. So I'm interested by the move. I don't think he's going to become a 20-goal scorer all of a sudden. But if you want a guy that is going to push defenders back a little bit, that's going to work to create space, I think it's an interesting move. And uh, it's a domestic move as well. So, uh, I mean, it's not like it was a very costly one on that side. Interesting. Um, Is there any player in particular that you're singling out, doing your previews, thinking about the roster, thinking about the way they're going to play, that you're you're thinking it's going to have a really good year that you're excited to watch for Montreal? Yeah, I don't know that necessarily he's going to have a great year because it's going to be his first year in uh, in MLS. But I'm interested by Joaquin Torres, who comes in from Newell's Old Boys. Um, you know, this is a kind of the kind of tricky winger that Montreal maybe didn't have uh recently you had these powerful wingers these powerful runners on the on the sides but torres is really about playing with the ball so i'm interested to see how he fits into that and second of all i'm interested to see how the talent from within is going to fit into the mix because uh montreal they've signed a lot of academy kids uh over the years but it's not like uh a lot of them have established themselves as regulars in the first team now you've got a guy a coach that has grown from within uh and he knows those kids and you've got a, a talent like Jean-Yel Assi who is a, a tricky winger he's 16 years old I mean it remains to be seen what kind of part he's going to play maybe he's even going to go on loan I don't know at this point but you've got a lot of young talent like that uh Mathieu Joignier who's 22 now I think it may be time for him to take a step and maybe the confidence boost that a coach that he knows, uh, maybe that's what is going to be needed here and maybe he's going to get it this year. So I'm interested to see how those young pieces fit into the puzzle. Interesting. Um, well, this has been great. I appreciate you making the time. Olivia. Um, how do we support your work uh, all across the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Oli Tremblay, my, uh, the first three letters of my first name plus my last name, no space, no whatever, Oli Tremblay, uh, where I troll a lot of people and mostly my <laughs> colleagues, but I do tweet my stuff from time to time. Uh, and you can also go and check out the uh, website at uh, Radio Canada Sport, which is uh, my employer, my employer for close to four years now. And uh, we're the public broadcaster and we follow the, uh, we follow the, I was going to say the impact again. Uh, it's going to take CF Montreal. Yeah, I, it's going to take maybe years. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but we've got some interesting soccer projects uh, in the works that I can't talk about right now, but keep checking out the old Twitter feed and uh, you might get some news over there. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work, sir. I appreciate you making the time and don't forget folks, you can check all of this out on chasethomaspodcast.com and support the show by going to Patreon and patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer and all that good stuff. Follow Olivier, follow myself and uh, we'll be back with another episode tomorrow. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.